They bled us white, the bastards. They've taken everything we had. And not just from us, from our fathers, and from our fathers' fathers. And from our fathers' fathers' fathers. Yeah. And from our fathers' 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 fathers. You're right, Stan. Don't labour the point. And what have they ever given us in return? The aqueduct. What? The aqueduct. Oh, yeah, yeah, they did give us that. Uh, that's true, yeah. And the sanitation. Oh, yeah, the sanitation, Reg. Remember what the city used to be like? Yeah, all right, I'll grant you, the aqueduct, the sanitation, the two things the Romans have done. And the roads. Well, yeah, obviously yeah. the roads. I mean, the roads go without sand, don't they? But apart from the sanitation, the aqueduct and the roads... Irrigation. Medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Education. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all right, fair enough. And the wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's something yeah. we'd really miss, Reg, if the Romans left. <laughs> Public baths. And it's safe to walk in the streets at night now, Reg. Yeah, they certainly know how to keep order. Let's face it, the only ones who could in a place like this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, a fresh water system and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? Brought peace? Oh, peace! Shut up! Oh. Hello again and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And uh, we are back at it, another recording session. Now, Ian, I I want you to go on a little journey with me. So last time that we got together to record episodes, uh, we recorded Duck Soup and Eight and a Half, and The Quiet Man. Yeah. I kind of left that recording session thinking, man, I'm not happy about these movies that we just talked about. And uh, I don't think that we were actively thinking about picking better movies, because some of these I I, I hadn't seen. Um, but I will say that the next batch that we are going to talk about, I am, I'm much happier to talk about. That's excellent. I'm very know, happy to hear I don't know how that. you feel about that. But I, I do. Well, especially this first one. You know, you, you do already know how I feel about today's episode i, I do think. i do I, you're 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 a giddy, giddy. As a kid in a candy store oh, that's right um so we got some recommendations for you like we always do though and we didn't discuss this prior to recording so ian who's going first i think you are i will okay great um so we're we're post oscar season now um all the awards have been handed out all the things have been done and i recently watched a movie that many would say uh was snubbed from a couple of categories i would say potentially original screenplay, actress, and potentially even best picture. And it's now up on Prime. And so uh, the other day I watched Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. Have you seen this yet? I've not. Liz has, though. Okay. She uh, she told me that it, it takes a little while to get going, but the end is absolutely worth it. Yeah, it's so um, if you don't know who Bo Burnham is, and that, that might be totally possible, Bo Burnham was kind of a YouTube sensation comedy guy, and then he eventually got some uh, stand-up solo specials that he did and uh he has one that was a netflix one called make happy and then there's also uh one called what and uh, is he i might be confusing him with the other guy dimitri whatever dimitri his name. martin yeah I, does, so does bo burnham include some music in oh, his yes sta- okay he right. does actually a, a lot a lot yeah and um maybe i'll throw up some some clips of his stuff uh around the time that we release this episode anyways though uh, so i know him more as a stand-up and i i think he's very funny but he's also he likes to talk a lot about social 
things like like social media and, and how it sort of uh, talks how it encompasses our lives. And so this story is about this girl uh, played by Elsie Fisher. Her name's Kayla. And it's basically the last week of eighth grade and her getting ready to go into high school. And uh, towards the beginning of the episode, they're giving out the like the superlatives, like the the best smile and the most athletic, right? Kind of like the senior year things. And she wins most quiet. And it reinforces this that she's very shy and doesn't know how to talk to people and doesn't have that many friends. But she's got this whole other kind of persona where she's recording these these YouTube um, videos, you know, about how to how to make friends and how to be confident. And it, it's it's very contradictory to what we see her doing in the movie. And it's very slice of life. There really there is no plot to it. It's just sort of this last week of eighth grade. And how she's going to essentially propel herself into high school. So there's no plot for me to really talk about. But what I what I want to recommend is this young this young actress, Elsie Fisher, is just great in it. She embodies exactly what it's like to be an awkward middle school you know student. And I want to compliment Bo Burnham on the script and his direction. And maybe there's just a soft spot for me because I'm I'm a dad and I, I have daughters. Um, but the guy who plays her dad, he's a single father. I think his name I think his name is Mark Hutchinson. I might be getting that wrong, and I'll I'll look it up if I am. But he has this great great scene with her um, where she asks if if she makes him sad, and basically she says, "If I had a daughter like me, it would make me sad." And he gives the best best response to his daughter it's it's just so even if you're not a dad it's it's still a good scene but like it it teared me up it 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 was so good and this movie has a lot of awkward comic beats it's also really like tense and and awkward at times and I don't know I can't I yeah I was having a hard I've been watching a lot of bad movies lately and this one was one that I watched and immediately got done thinking this is definitely gonna be one one of my recommendations and now that it's on prime you have to see it. If you if you have a Prime membership, watch this movie. It's really really good. And, and and I I think I've heard a complaint that it's it may be hard to get into because we're following the life of a it's a teenage girl and that guys might have a hard time following it. I disagree completely. It takes you back to when you thought middle school was the end all be all and you thought it was so important and then you know, you just have to realize that no, it's just a part of the growing up and things will get better. Um, but Bo Burnham's directorial de- debut, I really hope he does more. I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. That's awesome. Yeah. That so that a, is my recommendation. strong recommendation. There. It was good. It was really good. I mean, I, I, and for the people who won't like it, I think I, I know the reasons and, and it's fine. It's not meant for everybody, but it's really good. It does get my, my, the St. John seal of approval, I guess. <laughs> Whatever the hell Excellent. that means. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Take that for what you will. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's, it, it means something. I mean, I watched, uh, recently... These aren't my recommendations on this particular episode, but you had mentioned uh, Hold the Dark, and so I, I watched that. And then, uh, was it The Apostle as well that yes. you mentioned? Yeah, yeah so yeah, I watched yeah. both of those uh, fairly close together. Apostle was, uh, okay, yeah. I take it or leave it. I mean, I, it's too long for a start. It really is. Uh, but Hold the Dark, absolutely fantastic. And yeah. I, I don't, you said you didn't like the ending, or you were a little let down by the well, ending? It's, I didn't. I, the, if I can remember this correctly, the way it ended, I couldn't tell if it was, it was one of those where if it was like an intentional choice to end it the way that they did, or for lack of a better phrase, lazy writing. 
but it but it was ambiguous enough not not the ending but like i couldn't answer that question which makes it like it definitely was i didn't not like it it just left me going huh no but anyways yeah. i know i kind of i kind of like the ending i like him sitting there and spoilers if you haven't seen it um him there in the hospital bed with his daughter and she asked what happened and it just cuts on him saying let me tell you or oh, i've got no. a story to tell you or something yeah, i don't mind that yeah there's just some you mean with the alexander scar yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, story exactly, that's, exactly yeah that's fair enough and that and that's like it didn't bother me i just like it, it did it it raised questions and i was like huh i don't know no no i i liked it a lot and when i found out you know when it started it's directed by jeremy solnier i got really excited i love both green room and uh blue ruin both so i haven't good. seen green room yet yeah. you've seen blue ruin though yeah no i haven't seen either of them. Oh, but man. green room I, i've heard of it i don't know blue yeah. ruin yeah blue ruin it, blue ruin's better okay and then of oh, course okay. he also directed uh Two episodes and and produce the new season of True Detective season three. Ah, okay. which have you okay. seen yet? Nope. I've heard mixed things. Season two is better. Oh, I know. I know oof. that's that's the hot take. Oh, yeah. People are not gonna like that one, but oh. season two is still better. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in your mind, it's just declining. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Mershala. I'm probably butchering. How do you Mahershala. Mahershala. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, he is astounding. We go way back. We're, we're good I, I, buddies. Yeah. yeah. You're tight. Um. <laughs> He's fantastic. Stephen Dorff is amazing. Like, and probably people only would remember Stephen Dorff, I think, Blade. from Blade. Yeah. That's the only thing I remember him from. I don't from. know him from anything else. Um, yeah, he's he's amazing in it. It, it could have been done in six rather than eight. Okay. But I, that's neither here nor there. I need to get to my saying, recommendation. We're like, eight, we're like eight minutes in, man. Well, mine's, mine's going to be quick. I feel kind of bad. I must apologize to our, our dear listeners. I don't have anything new. Unfortunately, this oh, week was beset upon by... The Leaving Neverland documentary uh, that I decided to finally sit down and 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 watch, and uh, I did it over two nights, like how it originally aired, and uh, it shook me to my very core. I mean, I never believed all that bullshit surrounding Michael Jackson. I never believed that he was innocent. Like he had a big old guilty stamp on his face for me the second those allegations came out. I sure, like I'm I'm glad he's dead. I I really am. It's a shame. It's one of the great injustices that those men now they they don't have vilification. They they'll never get the justice that they deserve. But I'm really glad he's dead. Yeah. And and one of the moms even goes so far as to say that as well. She felt overcome with relief is is how she words it because now she knows that you know he can't hurt any more children. Oh man, it rips your heart straight out of your chest. But anyway, my recommendation and a sort of palate cleanser for. Leaving Neverland is I revisited something. It was it was on sale, so I picked it up. I hadn't seen it in a good few years. But uh, Clark Gregg's adaptation of Chuck Palahniuk's Choke, starring uh, Sam Rockwell and Angelica Houston. I, I hadn't seen it probably in a good five or six years. And uh, I mean, I love Palahniuk. I've read almost all of his stuff. It's uh, it's a really underrated adaptation. I mean, it's no Fight Club. I mean, Fight Club obviously set the bar so high. But we went almost ten years between. Fight Club and Choke, and I know some of his other stuff has been optioned, and they tried to make Survivor, but Survivor includes the hijacking of a plane and the crashing of a plane, and it, they were trying to go into production right around 2001, so obviously yeah. that wasn't going to happen, but I do I do think it's time for us to have, it's been almost 10 years, it's, oh, it has been 10 years since Choke, so I feel like we're due for another Polinic, uh adaptation. Uh, but Choke, if you, if you don't know about it, Sam Rockwell plays uh, this medical student or this, this medical student dropout who now 
uh, divides his time between taking care of his ailing mother, who is gradually sinking further and further in senil- into senility, played by Angelica Houston, who is just absolutely wonderful in this, well, and, and pretty much everything she does. That's fair. Uh, yeah, she's incredible. And uh, he, between taking care of her, he works at this living museum, sort of Renaissance colonial kind of thing. Uh, he's also a, a sex addict. And uh, he also, as the, where it takes its title from, he uh, chokes himself in restaurants to pay the bills, essentially. So he'll deliberately stuff a large piece of food down his throat. People will rescue him or he'll perform, you know, the Heimlich, and then they kind of take him under their wings, so to speak, and they send him money and, and this, that, and the other. And that's how he pays his bills and pays his, his mother's medical. I mean, it's it's your typical kind of Polonic, what the hell is going on? I've never For, seen it, but you this, haven't, this all makes sense. Yeah. This all makes sense. It's it's really wonderful. Sam Rockwell, absolute revelation in it. I mean, this is, this is saw this thing. I mean, he'd done stuff, obviously, before Choke. I mean, he'd been... I wouldn't say prolific. No, he was definitely a bit player. Yeah, but but in 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 well received movies. Yeah, he was in the the first thing Clooney directed, that Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. But even before that, yeah, he was in Green Mile. He was in uh, Charlie's Angels, um, and then the Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Yeah, he was always around. Yeah, yeah. But this is the movie that like I I would now after having seen Choke when that came out, I went out of my way to find other Sam Rockwell stuff because of it. Yeah. Uh, and it's just so bleakly funny. Anybody who's, who's familiar with Polonix stuff, you'll know it's, it gets pretty dark in yeah. places, but there's also great, great moments of levity in it. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I'm, I, I, Chuck Palahniuk is that, is that kind of a writer. So that makes sense. Well, you know what? I feel like I tend to be the one who, who kind of leads us into the the main movie that we're going to talk about. But I'm going to let Ian kind of usher us into this one because I know he is very eager to talk about this one. Oh, I've, I've been talking about this one since we decided to do a podcast. That's very true. And it just so happens that we're we're almost right around the uh, the 40th anniversary. That we are. Uh, it's very exciting. And it's actually getting a very small re-release in some theaters. Uh, for the anniversary. I can't wait till we talk a little bit later about the last re-release that it had. Sure. It just made me, it made me laugh when I heard oh, yeah. about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so today's episode, Monty Python's Life of Brian, uh, released in 1979, directed by uh, one of the Pythons, Terry Jones. Uh, the previous one had been directed by both Jones and Terry Gilliam, but uh, they decided to let Jones kind of take the reins on this one because Gilliam felt that the other Pythons didn't quite respect him as a director, didn't really take orders from him. They, they, they preferred Jones's style of direction over Gilliam's. He did still act as their sort of production designer yeah, and he yeah. did animate some of the sequences in it. He did direct a full sequence in it, which is the, that Brian the falling into the, yeah. the spaceship, yes. which is, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, written obviously by the Pythons. If you don't know who they are, they, well, they were Graham Chapman, who unfortunately isn't with us anymore. John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. Uh, some other stars in this film uh, include Sue Jones Davis playing Judith, uh, Brian's somewhat love interest. Yeah. Uh, Charles McEwen, who we've talked about before, he's in multiple roles. Uh, he is the guy that you really like in Brazil. Uh, the when 
Jonathan Price gets his promotion, he's the guy that he has to share the desk yes, through the wall with. Yes, thank you. I was sitting there uh, going, I, that, I know it, I know it, and that's what yeah. it was. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kenneth Coley plays Jesus. Uh, you may not know that name, but you certainly know uh, Admiral Piet from the original Star Wars trilogy. That's him. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, a cameo from both Spike Milligan, who is, an, again, a name that maybe some Americans aren't familiar with, but I'll just put it this way. If there was no Spike Milligan, there would be no Monty Python. One of their biggest influences. He just happened to be on holiday in Tunisia at the time, so, like, we got to get him in the film. Yeah. Uh, he plays uh, one of the men in the crowd sort of chasing Brian as they're trying to, you know, as they come to the conclusion that he is their messiah. He's the one that's kind of left behind trying to calm the crowd down. They've yeah. already gone, and he just kind of wanders off out of frame. And it does feature a cameo as well from George Harrison, who was the producer on this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's the... It's you quoted. might call him the savior oh, absolutely. of this movie. There would be no life of Brian without George Harrison. Obviously, George Harrison, you know, as the bassist from the Beatles, uh, excellent songwriter in his own rights, and uh, went on using this as a springboard to fund and uh, produce other movies such as uh, The Long Good Friday, which I think is one of the greatest British gangster dramas of all time, um, Time Bandits, which is Terry Gilliam's most successful film, and um, uh, Mona Lisa as well, which is the film that um, Bob, Hoskins. Bob Hoskins got his Academy Award nomination for, and of course, my favorite film of all time, With Nell and I. There you go. Yep. There it is. So... Uh, if, interesting fact, while we're on George Harrison, though, that's not his voice as Mr. Papadopoulos. I the, did. The, I read, I the, read uh, that. The audio recording was useless, so I think it's Palin who's yeah. dubbing him, trying to do like the the most <laughs> stereotypical Liverpoolian accent he possibly can. Um, so, as you know, with the Pythons, they play multiple roles in this film, and we'll we'll break down some of them as we go. Um, but this film is currently on the IMDb Top 250 sitting at number 193. I don't know if it's still there. Uh, it was this... at least when I checked. Okay. So, yeah, we've had that we've had that recently with fluctuating, yeah. you know, positions on One, that. <laughs> 193 is the number that I have as right, well. Excellent. Uh, it's number 28 on the BFI's best British films of all time and in 2001 and I remember seeing this when it happened on TV, but Channel 4 uh, loves to do polls and they love to do uh, you know, long multi-part rankings of films and songs and albums and all kinds of things like that. When they did their list of the 500 best films of all time in 2001, it came 23rd. So that's pretty prestigious. Hot damn. And uh, Rotten Tomatoes, we currently have a 95% fresh, and audience is really close behind it at 93. Yep. Did you have uh, any anything you wanted to add to its... Well, there's no real accolades to speak of. Yeah, not of. really. Yeah, I know. It, I mean, a lot of places just refuse to show it. Yeah, which well, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk didn't about help. But that's, I mean, that's great. Yeah. Like, even they said, hey, we, we love the controversy. Now we don't have to do any advertising. You've done it for us. Yeah, I, I, I did pull this one quote from, this is Robert Osborne from the original Hollywood Reporter Review. Um, and it just says, irreverent, perhaps, but in the hands of England's six-man Monty Python group, Python's Life of Brian comes off as a wacky, good-natured satire carrying much more of a whimsical and friendly air than a sacrilegious flavor. The Warner Brothers slash Orion release produced by John Goldstone for executive producers George Harrison and Dennis O'Brien appears headed for good times everywhere but in the Bible Belt, which uh, I think I wanted to just pull this one quote for that last little bit because you could see the sect of people who could would watch this movie and just get up in arms about it. Yeah. And so 
before even seeing it. Exactly. Yeah. In exactly. the same way that you know uh, Scorsese would go through the same thing a few years later, making Last Temptation being you know lauded by people who never even saw the film. Yeah. And missed the point of it completely because it's not a film that condemns faith or condemns Christ. You've seen Last Temptation. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. That's mm-hmm. a film that really I think you could use as a platform to help strengthen faith. Yeah. And people just chose to ignore that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know... As, as they did with Brian. I'm not going to say that Brian does the same sorts of things that Last Temptation was trying to do, but... That, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, anyway, it's, yeah. still, it's still banned in some cities in Europe, apparently, for uh, blasphemy. Is it? Yeah. I, it I, was banned in eight years for Ireland, uh, another year in Norway, which is great. Did you read that Sweden used that in yes. their marketing so bad that Norway refused to, to play it? Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah, I, I I appreciate that the humor all the way through, even even in the things like that into the the advertising of the movie. I think is I think it's great. Did you want to take over and giving uh, our listeners a little bit of info about the plot? Uh, sure. Um, basically, the movie opens up and the three wise men are approaching what they think is the birth of our our Lord and Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, we we realize very soon that this is actually just Brian. Brian's being born pretty close to where Jesus is. And uh, it, we basically, it, I mean, the title's right there. We follow the life of Brian, um, who is Jewish, he thinks. And yet his mother tells him that he's actually a Roman. He was Well, she was raped by a man named Nautius Maximus. Yes, there we go. Um, and basically, I mean... <sighs> It's it's a it's a Monty Python movie, so there's there's a lot of bits going on. But I would say that essentially, through no fault of his own, Brian becomes this messiah-like figure, and everybody starts to listen to him. I'm cutting. I'm 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 jumping huge huge yeah. bits of, of of very very funny parts of the movie. But I just want to essentially, Brian becomes a messiah-like figure, and in the process of trying to clear his name, ultimately ends up uh, being crucified to uh, possibly. Possibly my favorite moment of the movie, which is uh, Eric Idle starting a very great rendition of Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. Um, With a very cheeky, over-the-top kind of Cockney accent. Yes. I guess the, he did record it in his normal singing voice, and they went, it's not funny enough. Yeah, I, I read that too. Yeah. Um, so, but that, I mean, that's basically it. And there's a lot of stuff that happens within it. Um, we can totally talk about the uh, Judeans people front <laughs> and and all of all of that. The fucking PFJ. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's essentially the plot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very basic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's based on uh, the whole idea to give a little background about how the Pythons came to make this film on press tours for Holy Grail. People were kept asking them, Hey, what's the next thing? What's the next big thing? And they got tired of trying to come up with an answer and very off the cuff. I believe it was Eric Idle that said, next, we're going to do Jesus Christ lust for glory, which is still one of the greatest titles I think in the history of unmade films. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see why they chose not to. to do yeah, that probably one. not a good idea. But the, the film was originally going to lampoon Christ, uh, and they decided, look, well, he's not really doing anything in the Bible that's worth lampooning. All he's doing is trying to tell people to love one another. He tells parables. He, there's nothing there that you can really skew. And so, that's, that's what I actually i I read that too. And I, I when I read that little chunk about the that it's kind of the development of this movie. It, it actually made, gave me a fonder appreciation of the Pythons because they, they still could have. I mean, they oh, easily could have done yeah. it. But the fact that they, they did their research, they, they read into – they read the Bible and they read, they read you know, probably, you know, theologians talking about it. And they decided, no, 
to do that would be mocking something that actually has a heart and and value. It, it, yeah, yeah, exactly, and integrity behind it. And so, I like that it's it's attacking. Well, attacking might not be attacking might be a strong word, but you know, going after religion and not the man, because I think that's that's ultimately the biggest satirical point of this of this movie is is when you blindly follow something that you don't totally understand yes we are all different it's going to be really hard for me not to just quote the thing as we go along. oh I, apo- do. I apologize in advance no please do I, i'm not asked this was only my uh second time watching okay. this movie um, how long was the gap do you think between viewings pretty about two years maybe? oh okay yeah oh all right so it's it's still fairly fresh in your mind then it's not like you saw it like 20 years ago no, and now you're like revisiting that. it yeah yeah this uh, is, brian I, is about a once a year for me okay see i would say grail is about a once a year for yeah. me i do, well and i used to feel the same i used to love where i still love grail sure. but there is uh grail is very much it's it's not as cohesive it's not a, it's not, it doesn't feel like a full cohesive whole like it's trying to drive at something like See, Brian I totally is. I totally agree it's far more sketch like and then of course when they did meaning of life they went completely that way and it is just a series of sketches yeah. with just the loose kind of exactly, meaning of but, life but, as the theme but yeah, there's but no with connective meaning of life, tissue yeah with meaning of life that's a very I think it's a very intentional choice it's that's like the way that the story is being told and and you know you Grail is not presented that way, and I, obviously this is not a Grail discussion. The only, the only thing I say is that I think I think that the the randomness and the no, I think randomness is good of, yep. of scenes and how everything goes. It it just it's just perfect, and I and I I I truly love the end of this movie, but I think the end of Holy Grail might might be one of my favorites, like like ever. No, I the just, fact that it just ends. Yeah, and I and I have a theory about that, which we can delve deeper oh, into when, when we, we actually yeah, do exactly. the Grail okay. episode. I don't want to ruin uh, that. But yeah, now. Life of Brian. Where do we want to? Where do you want to go? Because I I just feel I feel like this could be one of those things, like almost like Back to the Future, where we just like oh, it's going to be. What a are com- your favorite parts of this movie? It's just going to be a complete gush fest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you want to get it out of the way, we can talk a little bit more about the making of and really do it, the yeah. controversy. Uh, so I sent you uh, a YouTube link. I know you did. You said you didn't have I the opportunity read, to watch I read it about. The, the link you sent. So it's uh, there was this this program in Britain at the time called uh, like Friday night and Saturday morning or something like that. And they were on there with uh, two gentlemen, one of them by the name of Malcolm Muggeridge, who used to be uh, a satirist and uh, became born again, I guess you would say, after his meeting with Mother Teresa, which he says completely changed his life and his outlook and just the way that he you know, ultimately lived his life. And then the second uh, gentleman that was on there, uh, Mervyn Stockwood, who at the time was the Bishop of Southwark, uh, he actually uh, taught and lectured at one of the schools that uh, one of the public schools that Cleese used to go to. And so they had a little bit of a history. So they go on the show together and they bring uh, Palin and Cleese on first and they kind of give a little bit of background about the film. It was a little more of a promotional, sort of your typical uh, late night interview pushing the film. And then they bring these two gentlemen on with them to kind of debate uh, the merits or in their minds, the lack thereof of the film. And of course, what we talked about, you know, before we sat down to record this episode is you have Palin and Cleese who are very... Uh, very eloquent yeah and and in their arguments especially they're thought out they know exactly what they were trying to say in the film the film is it is an attack on organized religion it's attack on blind faith and not thinking for yourself and taking the word as quote-unquote the word and these guys 
uh, Muggeridge and Stockwood, they can't seem, because they are so set in their ways, that this is how they've, they've lived their lives by these doctrines, that they can't see the fact that what the Pythons have done is not to lampoon their savior figure, but really their way of life and their way of thinking. Because all they can do is just attack the Pythons, one, personally, and then two, attack the film for, I think Muggeridge says at one point, a, a tenth-rate uh, satire. And he just keeps repeating that point, and they keep repeating uh, how the the incarnation is they they've or what they call Jesus's incarnation. How they're um, you know trying to tear that apart. This moment of beautiful faith, uh, this uh, of a faith reassuring moment in which Christ sacrificed himself for us and was crucified. And they keep using the crucifixion almost as a crutch in this argument. And I, I think they seem to forget that crucifixion wasn't just something that happened to Jesus. Like, the Romans did this to possibly hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just capital punishment at the time. It's not special. It wasn't a special thing reserved for Jesus and the two thieves that were up there with him. Exactly. It, it actually, it happened a lot. Yeah. So you shouldn't really base your faith on a capital punishment to begin with. Well, a couple and then think that Jesus is special just because he got nailed to a piece of wood. A couple of things that I that what you what you just said brought up. Uh, first thing is that I, I about that specific interview with uh, on the on the show Friday night Saturday morning. Um, I read that the the two guys on the show had missed the beginning, so they yeah. they missed the fact that Jesus is a character in the movie. That that it, it's not Brian isn't the Messiah. Like that obviously there's a the whole bit is that you know, people people think that he might be, but there's the whole obviously the whole opening where the three wise men believe that they are there. I'll stop you just when we'll just address really quickly. John Cleese's unfortunate use of blackface. That, that is really one of the only things that, that drags this film down for me is just, ah, could you have not gotten yourself a black actor? Did you really have to do blackface? I mean, uh, of course, of course I agree with you, but I also know that it's these guys playing all the parts. I think if it had been, some other random white guy that wasn't a python doing blackface it would have been worse yeah but since it was one of the six guys doing it i it's not good it's not good but i think it could have been worse yes exactly exactly um anyway sorry back to your no, point just, about so, well, them point, missing the, the first 15 the first, minutes. yeah missing missing the opening of the movie and and totally missing you know the setup for it yeah so my guess is they probably come in right around when Brian meets Reg and Judith. Probably, yeah, exactly. When and so, so they miss nipple chips and whatever yeah, the hell. Else and he's wolf's selling. wolf teats and, go, yeah. and stuff like that. They they miss you know the whole Jesus that the actual shot of Jesus, as I said, played by uh, Kenneth Coley. And the way that they shot that is very respectful. He's up there doing the Sermon on the Mount. Well, and that know. was so. That was the second thing I wanted to bring up, which is that so that scene. Yes, Jesus is he's 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 in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and. When we start on him, yeah, he's he's. There's no joke. There's no. It's shot very respectfully. It it's is. almost like there's an aura around him, and it's zooming back so you can see the crowd of people listening to him, and it's it's it feels legit. It feels like this is probably what it looked like at the time. He would speak, and if you wanted to listen, you would do it. It only turns funny when we get far enough back, and you realize he's you know you can't hear him, and the which funny would have is, happened. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The funny part it's is just not common Jesus. sense. Ex yes, yes, and the joke becomes I can't hear this guy, and it's the mistake. You know, uh, what was it? Um, uh, um, God will inherit the Greek, or blessed are the the Greek, the geek, 
blessed are the Greek. Yeah. And uh, I think he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. Yes. Well, it, it can't just be cheesemakers. It must refer to manufacturers of any dairy product. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, and this is why, I'll just say it right now, because uh, I've said this to you before. Not only do I think this is the greatest British film ever made, I honestly believe this is the greatest comedy of all time because of the points that I'll, I'll make as we go throughout. But this is the first point, is the fact that it takes... It, it tries to look at an incident like that. Take the, the Sermon on the Mount, where there were reportedly thousands of people there. Well, look, it's, it's 33 AD. It's no electricity. We don't have microphones, megaphones, speakers, anything like that. So you would have had to really try to catch what you could or have information passed back through the crowd because he's only going to be able to project his voice to what? Probably 100, 150 people back? If he's... If he's, you if know, he's yes, yelling, exactly. if yeah. he's like screaming every word that he's saying. And so it's just common sense and it plays into misinterpretation. It's, it's, the first, it's the first stop on the road through this movie of taking a look at organized religion as a whole. And the first thing being that, okay, so this is the word, but look how many different sects of Christianity that we have, the way that people choose to, to take this piece or to take that piece and to run with that and ignore everything as a whole. So that's, that's, that's one of the first points that I would make on why this is a transcendental sort of comedy. Yeah. No pun intended there. Yeah. <laughs> or pun intended. But possibly. Oh, great. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, but that leads to when they leave because they get bored. This leads to, I don't know, I'm torn between, I couldn't tell you what my favorite scene in this film is. I really couldn't. There are just too, there are too many. But you have two of the best written scenes in the history of comedies, back to back, you have the stoning. Oh my god, that's of the so guy. funny! It's it's brilliant. And Cleese, his comedic timing. So Cleese originally wanted the Brian role. Yes, he campaigned I read that. for it. He wanted it so bad because he he wanted to prove what what a movie star his potential for a movie star. But of course, they had had Graham play the lead in in Holy Grail. So mm -hmm. they thought, well, we'll have we'll have Graham do this one as well. Of course, there was a bit of a debate there because Graham was deep in alcoholism at the time. I think he was swigging, I don't know, a liter of gin a day at this point in his life. And so he's like, no, 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 I, I really fucked up Holy Grail. I mean, there are scenes in Grail where he is being supported by people behind him and he has cue cards this close to his face. Uh, and so he's like, oh, I don't want to do that again. So he sobered up and then he actually acted as their, their medic on, on the film doctor, as well because yeah. he, is, he, he was a doctor, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is brilliant. It, actually, in, that, in the whole paragraph I read that included that information, I never realized that he was gay. Oh, you didn't? I, I'm not. I'm not a, a. I'm not sure what you would call a Python historian. I appreciate their humor, but I've never real like the 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 Python's documentary on the Criterion Collection. Um, was the first kind of really behind the scenes information I'd ever really heard about them. Yeah. You know, and besides Cleese, I really haven't followed any of their careers just because it. It's not that monumental to, to me. So so watching the documentary was actually, they're funny, but it was also like, oh, I didn't know that. There's a lot of I didn't know that. It's a, it's a really great, of all the, you know, the many, many EPK making of documentaries, it, that one is, is fantastic. It does a really good job of, of letting you kind of into their creative process. Yeah. It's, it's really well made. And if you're interested in learning more about Graham Chapman, there's a wonderful documentary, uh, a, a, a Liar's Autobiography or something like that. Uh, I, that, I believe that's the title. It was on Netflix anyway okay. for a while, but it's a fan, 
fascinating documentary about Chapman and the awesome. animation and it is very Gilliam-esque. Ah. So it, it kind of ties back into it. And it feels like a very naturalistic sort of way to tell his life story. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the, so there's the stoning scene. Like I said, with the brilliant timing from Cleese. No one is to stone anyone until I blow this whistle. I just, I love that. It's just so ridiculous trying to, to herd this crowd and the fact that it's all women yes, it, with yeah, those yeah. terrible it's beards. Great. Are there any women here? And it's got that, that moment of where they pause and they're not quite sure and they start like, they start speaking in women's voices and they realize that they sound like women and then they have to deepen their voices. That's just great writing. And just, and get to the back. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like the little bit of like, okay, you're not, I'm not going to, you're not, you can't, you, you can stay. You just have to go to the back. That's just great. So you don't get to stone him first. Yeah. <laughs> you get the scraps. And then that's followed by, I think, maybe this is my favorite scene. It's, and it'll probably change as we go along through that's this, fair. this episode. That's fair. But the, the Palin as the, the um, cured leper. Oh yeah, forgot. So good that that piece of writing there, and, and that again is probably my second point on this: is people never being satisfied with what they've got. I mean, it, it makes a great point about that. I mean, you you have you have your life, and then it changes for the better or the worse. It's it plays into the whole idea: the grass is always greener. Yeah. In this one character, and it's what like a three-minute scene, and oh, it's some that. of the it's best so dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's some of the best dialogue in the whole movie. He talks about how you know Jesus just popped up, and you know nothing, not even a buy your leave cures me, takes away my livelihood. And you, <laughs> and he goes, he talks about going back. You know, why don't you go back and tell him you didn't want to be cured? Well, I, I thought about that, but being a leper is frankly a pain in the ass. Excuse my French. And what was it? What does he ask for? He like just. He's to, like, can you make me lame in one <laughs> leg, like in the middle of the week? <laughs> and so this is what's so great that rampant silliness, which is very much Python's bread and butter. But what they're doing with that silliness, you know, they're they're almost disarming you with it because you know what to expect from Python. But at the same time, no, we're really good. We have some points to make. We have some things that we want to say. We're just giving it this veneer of our trademark. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And is the scene, I think, because that gets really close to um, the scene at the Coliseum. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, where, I mean, maybe then the Coliseum, but, you know, a, a the, gladiator. The, the, children, the children's yeah, matinee. The chil yeah, that. Oh, my God. Jeez, oh, that was so funny. And I love that the, 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 the guy, the smaller guy, just runs a lot. He just runs. He tires him out. Yeah. yeah he, like, has a heart attack. The yeah. gladiator chasing him just, like, kills over from cardiac arrest. Again, this trademark silliness covering up these wonderful things, and then immediately you go into him meeting uh, the People's Front of Judea. Yes. And you learn about all the different sects, all the different, uh, you know, subcultures of these, these groups trying to liberate Judea from the Romans. And if, you, and if you hadn't at this point gotten that this is all satire, we're poking fun at this, like, look at how ridiculous this can actually be. If you hadn't gotten it up until this point, they, in a very funny way, they beat you over the head with yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. This, You're it, not going to get converted at this point. Yeah. It, it, and, and I, I, yeah, I, this is not my favorite scene, but it definitely is one of my favorites. Where he meets the, yes. the Judean people's front. Yes. I thought we were the people's front of Judea. No, Judean people's front. Or yeah. I thought we were the popular front. And they go through all the different sects of yeah. these people trying to liberate them from the Romans. Oh, it's so good. I mean, let's, right now, hold on. I, right now, well, we, oh, no, I just want to, just a tangent. This is just a total yeah, yeah. tangent. Let's, let, how, how many sects of Christianity can we, can we think of right now? 
So there's Catholicism. Catholicism, Protestantism, or CV Church of England, pretty much. Uh, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Mormons, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses. There's the one... Presbyterian? Presbyterian. What's the one... Uh, what was he in Hacksaw Ridge, the guy that's the conscientious objector? Oh, he's the pacifist. Um... Ooh, I don't remember. There's another one that I can't think of. I mean, there's uh, we're almost up to ten. Yeah, just and here. And this was just just now, just without looking without looking at our phones or anything. We just, just hey, how many how many are there? And because we're not, neither one of us are very religious, so I put very in there to help us. Maybe whatever. We're not religious at all. Um, but like even right there, that's. But you're all believing in the same thing, and then of course, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. you also have, I mean, how many? Who knows how many different. You know, sections of, of the Muslim faith there are. You've got the Sunnis and the Shias. And that's just... To, that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And your different caliphates and all of that. But essentially, you're all driving at the same thing. It's just the way in which you do it yeah. that causes the infighting, which is absolutely ridiculous. You all essentially want the same thing. I, I hope, right? Yes. You want to just be a good person and, and live your life according to these teachings of helping others, being a good person this that and the other but the fact that we have had the crusades because of it which went on for decades and resulted in who knows the 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 number of people killed because of this is it's untold un, it'll never be known yeah and then i mean what you have going on in the middle east and even the infighting that we have here in our own country based on faith and belief i don't want to go for too far down that no, path. And, i want to get I, back and to it means yeah well i'm gonna yeah. us back i just you know that that again there's a point behind the comedy. Yes. Yeah. So that's it. I just want, they're just taking a second to go. Yeah. Well, it's, they, they have, they have the point. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, they're in the minority or we're in the minority at the time. So who wants to listen to it? Who wants to have their, their yeah. way of life questioned? Yeah, right. That's fair. Um, so that scene, that scene has a moment in it, which I think, I don't necessarily believe that it's the right way to go about it, but that, that scene where he meets, the people's front of Judea led by Reg, mm -hmm. the John Cleese character. Um, it has a moment with the Eric Idle character, which is massively ahead of its time. He wants to be a woman. Yes. Loretta, it, it, right? Loretta, yes. He wants to be Loretta, yeah. which is actually a reference to a Beatles song, a little throwback to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that's a wonderful moment. Like I said, I, you kind of have the naysaying from Cleese a little bit, which is... As far from politically correct as it can be, the whole where are you going to keep the fetus in a box? Because well, yeah. Stan, a.k.a. Loretta, wants to have babies. I think that's a moment that is vastly ahead of its time. Oh, absolutely. And so what, what happens is Reg, as this, you know, staunch kind of political radical guy, all of a sudden... Well, he's all rhetoric. Well, sure. But, but like, we hear him, and even if you... You don't really believe him, but you, you feel it feels like he's got a point of view, right? I want with this, this. We're gonna, you know, progress. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we hear the line from Eric Idle about wanting to be a woman. It's like, oh, you can't do that. Yeah. It's like it's you know, it's all one way. Good faith, good faith, good faith. Oh no, 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 no. Yeah, no. exactly. So again, like I mentioned, taking the one piece but not the other piece. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, I, yes. I I was gonna give another hypothetical, which really isn't a hypothetical, but it would be a total tangent. So I'm not gonna do oh, it. No, but no, again, listen, we got time. Well, just I mean, how many? How many politicians or outright, you know, Republican, you know, conservative people out there, are, they're so, they're anti-homosexuality and they end up having a child 
who who ends up being gay and it throws that their faith and I'm doing faith in quotes you can't you can't see it right back in their face no. and it's it's like sh- yeah you, you're now now what are you gonna do you're talk 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 and now you've got to actually deal with something and again I, I'm not trying to quote any particular person I just that's it's not uncommon that we've heard of this happening and. It's just, it's just, it's interesting when you actually have to take that faith that you talk about so much and put it to use. And, and how are you going to do it? How are you going to use it? I, that's that was it. No, no, I like that. That's a great thought. I like that. Yeah. Um, comedy. Comedy. <laughs> hey, you know what the secret to comedy is, right? Timing. Yeah. There you go. That that was it. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> do we have that? I don't know if we do. No. <laughs> I I don't think so. Uh, we'll get there. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, we come to an extended chase sequence where they're they're trying to. Oh no! Before we even get to that, there's the wonderful moment with him writing Latin oh, in yeah. letters hundred foot high. Yes, yes. The Romans go home. Yes. Oh well, it's kind of a dated joke. I mean, it's very much comes out of the boarding schools and public schools they went to, where they were forced to learn Latin and dealing. I mean, it is it is a joke not for our generation, but I still think it works. Oh no, I like it. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's great. You're gonna write that a hundred times. Yeah, I think no, I think that's and great. And if you're not done by morning, I'll cut your balls off. Yeah. And then of course we we lead into the chase and him coming back to uh, the the people's front of Judea and their plan to kidnap Pilate's wife mm-hmm. and then demand their ransoms. And then of course you have that wonderful scene. What have the Romans ever done for us? That, and, I, I'm going to tell you right now. Is I that your think favorite it's scene? My favorite scene in the movie. I know. And everybody just chimes the aqueduct. Yes. Education, medicine. <laughs> Yeah, and what, it's so good. And, I, and again, the I idea of never being satisfied. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I didn't write it down, but he eventually they're all yelling out stuff, and then Cleese finally gives that long rant. And then there's one more. What's there's the last thing? He's like, he, he goes. Besides that, what have they ever done for us? It's like, uh, it's not public safety. No, it, it's some, I forget what it is. Uh, it, it's but, good. But though. there's one more thing. It's like, oh, shut up! And it's yeah. just, it just, just one more thing. Yeah. Uh, of course, Pontius Pilate is what we're coming to. Pontius Pilate, greatest character in the movie? Ooh, that's a good question. I um, mean, Palin, Palin is just one of those guys who steals every goddamn scene he's in. One is the the cured leper. Yes. The guy in the jail cell who's only just been hung back. Yes, hung, yes, hung, yes. They only hung me up. I'd love right a crucifixion. <laughs> it's too good for them. <laughs> oh, and they're being spat at, and oh, I'd lay awake at night dreaming of being spat in the face. Proper okay. little jailer's pet. So I don't know... I mean, you catch me in the moment. I, 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 am hesitant, but I would agree that we pro- probably pilot is the best character in the movie. But I will say that I think overall, I think this is, I think this is Palin's movie. Oh yeah, I absolutely. Think- I hundred percent. It might Graham might be the lead, but Palin is just firing on all cylinders. This whole movie, every single role he has yeah. is just astonishing. He just gets funnier and funnier as the movie goes along to the point. Again, I don't know. This might be my favorite scene where he's trying to crack the Centurions up yeah. with his friend named Biggest Dickus. Yes. I still die. I've seen this movie 20 times and I die well, every I love, single time. When I was of watching laughter. it, when I was watching it, I, you could see Palin oh, even trying he's not to him. laugh. Yeah. And I didn't realize, and I'm sure you know this, but I read that the extras were told not to laugh. And so that that's the extras really trying not to laugh and Palin the one guy like full on biting his lip yeah, as and, hard as he can and Palin just and Palin you know seen doing being a good actor and and 
reacting to what's in front of him and deciding, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna push this as far as I can. So to give you some context for this scene is, is Brian has been captured during the, uh, the assault on, on Pilate's palace trying to kidnap his wife. When they run into the Judeans people front, people's front, right? Well, they run into, no, the oh. Judean people's front pop oh, up at the end. Yes, yes. They, but they run into like the popular front or okay. one yeah, of the yeah, other yeah. ones yes. and they all fight each other to death and Brian is the last one stood there. So they arrest him. And they bring him upstairs, he's, and they they say he's Jewish. And he's like, "No, I'm I'm a Roman," because his mother has revealed to him that he, he his father was in the the Judean garrison, a man yes. named Nautius Maximus, and he says that name to them. And they go, "Well, oh, that can't be a real name. It must be a joke name, sir." Like, uh, like Biggest Dickus. Oh, hang on a second. I have a very good friend in Rome named Biggest Dickus. The line that gets me, not more so than them trying to hold back the laughter, is he has a very good, he has a wife, you know, and her name is Incontinentia, Incontinentia <laughs> buttocks. God damn it! The writing, it just it gets it's so good. It just keeps getting better and better. And the more I think, I just keep finding things to appreciate in this film so much. Like I said, I'm really glad that you came to the same conclusion that this is Palin's film. It oh, really yeah. is. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is is every. We were, and we were kind of talking about this. Oh, man, I'm going to totally just it's out of my head. But we were talking about a movie needing a good, like, straight man. Yeah. And the movie needs something, you know, that, that character that you're kind of following through. And, and, and Graham Chapman is funny in the movie, but he's also the character of Brian isn't really the one getting the laughs. He's the one who's, who's – everything is funny in relation to him, yeah. you know. And, and so I think Chapman is really good at – I mean, even in Grail, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, King Arthur really isn't the funny one, you know, fighting the Black Knight and all that shit. That's funny, but but it's the Black Knight. Exactly. That's funny. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Same with Pontius. Pontius Pilate is funny. Yes. Or the J. Or the man hanging upside down in the jail. He's funny. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you want to address the uh, the sci-fi section of this movie? Yeah, if you're not familiar with this film, we're going to throw you through a loop here. This film has a sci-fi moment in it. I guess. I, I, I appreciate the the just complete randomness of it. But that... I, I think it sets up just how cursed Brian is. Because he has the, the one... When the ship crashes back down on Earth, he has the one guy... He gets out of the spaceship and the one guy's like, you, you lucky bastard. Yeah. I, I think it's set, it's just one of those little points that helps set up. Well, no, this guy is, is cursed. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong to this man. Do you want to but, know my my theory, which is not proven? There's no there's no sound reason or logic behind this at all. Um, and this is going to come up to a question I have for you. I'll actually I'll ask this question right after I, I say what my theory is, which is, I feel like Gilliam threw a fit because he probably didn't have enough to do and wanted something that was a little more up his alley, and so that's what came in. Here is my question to you. Are there five pythons or are there six pythons? And do you get what I'm asking with that question? Oh, are you saying just because Gilliam, Gilliam is an animator and he's American? And, you know what? It's not even that. It's not even that he's an animator and it's not that he's American. It's just that he's – he doesn't seem to be funny. And I get that the pythons are, are a group and it's not necessarily about humor. But watching the documentary – I feel like he is just a he's the weird outlier of the group. Oh, he's definitely the outcast. And and so it's just like I don't know. I don't know. I am not rooted in this in this Python British humor history. I don't know the ins and outs of of how they I mean I know kind of how they came together, but he just feels like this weird outlier and I'm really glad that he was not 
that that Terry Jones was the one basically solely directing this yeah, movie. Yeah, I think that was the right thing to do. So, and I, and you know more about this, so I just didn't know how, how well, what your uh, what your perception of that is. Well, my pers- I, is looking at this film in the time that it was made is nineteen seventy nine. Star Wars has been out for two years. Uh, Ridley Scott abandoned his gunpowder plot movie to make Alien because sci-fi was everywhere that's what people wanted at the time we want these big epic sci-fi adventures we want something that is a complete fantasy and even as far as going off this world true and it's kind of for me it's more of a dig at there are there are two digs in this film at james bond because at the time it's 1979 we're at the height of roger moore roger moore uh moonraker would be coming out this year and so that's for me what it's a dig at so you have the opening titles with the song the, the, the Life of Brian song, which it's it's a James Bond theme. It's huge. It's got the big horns. And the dialogue in it is so good about it's, him yeah, growing up. And, oh, wait, he, the man called Brian, not a girl named Brian, but a man named Brian. And he would want to, you know, it was interested in girls and wanting talking about him going out and getting pissed and then having one off the wrist, I which just, is I just oh, love so the, good. just the, the straight repetition joke. of his name. Yeah. I just thought that was – I mean, well, it, it's a funny song, but I just love that they just – I didn't write down who who sings it, but she oh, sings it very much like Shirley Bassey singing Goldfinger. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that's the first dig at, at Bond, and I think the other dig at Bond is is the sci-fi moment, being that Bond took this huge left turn. So Roger Moore had just made what I think is the best of the ones that he did, The Spy Who Loved Me. Okay, absolutely love that film. It's the hands down best Roger Moore one in a time where Bond was really going downhill. Um. And so even at the end of Spy Who Loved Me, because at the end of each Bond film, they tell you the title of what the next one's going to be, and they've never changed it. They've always left it the same. The next film was always intended to be for your eyes only. And then with the success of Star Wars, they're like, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We have to put Bond in space. And so they made Moonraker. And so for me, it's just kind of a dig at that and just where we were socially and where we were as far as what we were craving entertainment-wise. Sure. I, I, you could very well be right that oh, it was Gilliam needing dude, something am, more to do. I am probably wrong. Oh, I just... Right. I, I I don't know what's... But I can also see where you would be absolutely right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, look at what happened on, on Meaning of Life with his the short film, The Crimson Permanent Assurance, which does literally, figuratively, and literally take over the movie at one point. I gotta be honest, I've seen it once. Okay. Probably, like, a decade ago, and I, I and I remember enjoying it, but like, if you're gonna ask for specifics, yeah, um, yeah. I was talking to Melissa about that movie actually, and the only thing I remember is the guy being chased off of the cliff. Like, that's oh, he chooses to die. Yeah, so he's like a convicted criminal, yes, and they get yeah. they let him choose how he's gonna die. That so. is that is the only thing I can clearly remember from the movie. Well, and the you, it's great that you bring up the that Graham was was a gay man. It's the the fact that it is Graham being chased. Oh, by is all that these, who it is? It's oh, Graham. It, it makes it so much that's better so when you know that Graham was gay. The fact that he's being chased by all these topless women. Yeah, that's how he chooses to die. That is so funny. good. Anyway, back to Brian. Yeah. Uh, so we're at the point where uh, we're coming to the, for me, the best, the the best moment in this movie, as far as like thematically and what they're trying to say, and the reason why this film becomes a transcendental comedy for me. It, it, what I mean by that is I think it transcends its its genre. Sure. And uh, you know, eschews the the. Uh, people letting their guard down as far as, oh, I'm just going in to see a Python film. I'm not expecting to have something philosophical happen to me while I watch this, but this is what it does. So Brian is is up there on the ledge. He's hiding from the Romans on that little bit of rickety yep. 
uh, terrace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, below him are all of the... Because what the Pythons did through their research at this point in history, I mean, the world was looking for, for purpose and for meaning. And, you know, there was this whole run of like the Messiah complex of people looking and finding false idols just because they were rudderless and lacking direction. And so it's, you have all these guys down there doing their little sermons and preaching and they've all got their little small crowds watching them that the Gilliam covered in, in mud and the little loincloth losing his goddamn mind. That I, I really like him. And, uh, and yeah. there's the other guy that's uh, talking about how the, there'll be a nine-bladed sword. Not two, not four, not five, but nine. And then there's the terrible, the, the Palin one. Again, Palin's stealing every scene he's in. He's like, there will be this terrible thing of people not finding the things that they have lost. A son will say to his father, where is the hammer <laughs> that he had only placed there just the night before? Anyway, so... Brian falls off the terrace, knocks this guy over. Everybody applauds because this guy is shit. <laughs> and then now to to keep up this ruse and to not call out the fact that, hey, there's Romans over there. I got I to gotta be a preacher man now. He starts talking about how we need to, to love one another. And he has a go at the birds as people. Well, the birds don't worry about stuff. Why have you got to be worried? And everybody's like, hey, he's talking out of his arse. And then as Rome, as as Brian sees the Romans have gone, he steps off the pedestal and goes to walk away. And they're like, no, 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 hang on, you were onto something there. What were you saying? <laughs> and they a mob amasses around him and starts to to chase him. And you know, this guy, he's got something to say. This guy, he he knows what's up. And they're they're chasing him. He's he's running from them. And uh, in the midst of this, he loses his shoe. Yes, this is it. This yeah. is the moment oh, yeah. for me. This is the crowning achievement in the writing of this film they stop they see the sandal and they go a sign a blessing and this is what we're talking about on the road to what this film does philosophically as far as telling you not to just accept things blindly and to think for yourself they immediately fracture and yes. they immediately misinterpret this one guy holds it means that we must take one shoe and leave the other upon our foot like him hold the shoe up in the air and the other no 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 it means we must gather, gather shoes. shoes we must yes. get shoes we must gather them towards us and, and the, meantime, woman, the, the, the woman gourd. with the gourd yeah. no, no no we must we must uh, we must worship his holy gourd yeah. <laughs> I'm gesturing wildly because I'm very excited about this <laughs> it's true it's true yeah, it really is and of course when they find him up in the hills he's hiding out that, with, the, with terry jones yep. and that that beard which doesn't cover anything yes i get, if there is frontal male nudity in this film a couple times a couple times yeah so yeah. if you're not into that too bad yeah yeah you're gonna get it you're gonna which get you it. should be because there's there's a lot of female nudity all over in every film yeah i think there needs to be more male nudity yeah exactly so. we should be playing on a on an equal playing it, field which yep. we're not but no, no, you know, no, no, here no. we go yep it's a <laughs> uh, penises make some people uncomfortable for some reason yeah Oh, stop being so prudish. There you go. Uh, so they find him, and the, again, this, this continuation of them now having found their quote-unquote Messiah and Cleese, Cleese's timing in this whole scene. I think this is, other than the scene where he plays the guy conducting the stoning, this is Cleese's moment in yeah. this film, where they're worshipping him. Messiah, Messiah, and... Uh, I say you are my lord, and I should know. I've followed a few. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, "All right, well, he says, what, how you have brought us to this place, Lord? What should we do now? Just fuck off." And the the pause. It's the pause that just does me. He pauses just long enough. How shall we fuck off, O oh Lord? 
Brilliant. I've kind of taken over this this uh, episode. Please, uh, you gotta. You, I, I told people when I, I I told Liz and a couple other people when we were doing Life of Brian, they were like, "Yeah, he's gonna have to reel you in." No, no, it's I. You've touched. I mean, uh, I was I I hoping and figuring that we would get to the shoe because yeah. that that really is a pretty pivotal moment yeah. in in the movie. Um. Yeah, it's. I mean, we've talked about all the comedic stuff. I mean, not all of it. Yeah. The movie, this the movie does all over the place. The movie does sl- kind of slow down at that point a little bit. I it would does, say. but not not uncomfortably so. Not like no. the thing that I wrote down is that Brian is what ninety three minutes. Uh, I wrote it down. It is. I think it's, it's ju- ninety four. It's, it's yeah. just a little bit longer than than Grail. Yes. But for me, neither of those films outstay their welcome. Yeah. Like Meaning of Life does. Meaning of Life is way, way, way too long. It's pretty long. Yeah, and it, it makes its point pretty early and then just continues to beat it over the head. It's not a bad movie. No, it's no, got it's good not. stuff in it. It's just, it really is the weaker of the three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But no, no, I... I mean, I, I don't want to just jump to the ending, but the ending of it is, it's... I just, I think it's so funny when they start they start singing. They do the whole musical thing. Yeah. yeah. And the dead bodies are... are yeah, this is, there's there's the the PFJ, yes. which is a sequence that was cut entirely because we we only see they mention the PFJ or the People's Front of Judea mm-hmm. many times throughout the movie. Yes, and then we get to see them at the end, and people have always assumed that they got cut because of the sort of anti-Semitism around their characters. They yeah. are very far right wing Jews who who their star of David, their symbol yes. is more of a swastika than it is a star of David. And yeah. they're wearing the, the sort of Nazi stormtrooper helmets with the, the spike coming yes. out of the top of them. It wasn't cut for any of that. It was cut because it just slowed the movie down. Well, and I, so I, I read about the auto scene where, where our Eric Idle is playing a very Hitler like. He even has a little mustache. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, that was the only deleted scene I watched because it, there's, that seemed to be the most, I like there was, I read a lot about it that there was a scene that they did and they cut and then I watched it and my first my only thought was really God I'm glad they took that out yeah because it wasn't that funny and it really it was right in the middle and it seemed like it was one of those yeah fatty scenes to just let's, let's like, I, I know what they were going for but I think they've already said it enough to where you yeah. do it was more like repeated information yeah as far as you know the fracturing between all these different groups of people yeah I mean, it's still funny enough when they show up and then they all commit suicide rather yes. than saving. And you don't really need the. Um, I don't think you need that scene that got cut to, for that for that for that moment to a make sense or b be funny. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's that is the end of the movie. But on the way there, you also have, you know, Brian coming, coming to be. He he gets crucified. He joins the line of the many hundreds of people being crucified, and then Pilot actually has. Biggest Dick biggest is there Dick with is her, there, played yep. by Graham Chapman, and uh, he because it's Passover, he's going to do the the people of uh, Judea a favor, and he's going to release one of the people condemned to be crucified. And of course, they all love Pilate because of it. We didn't mention his lisp. What makes oh, him so the funny? Oh, lisp is so funny. Yeah. Uh, so he had, and so they're they're giving him all these names that just sound funny with a lisp until they get to Brian. And of course, it's too late. Brian has already been crucified, and you have the wonderful. Oh, I just this line is another one that just it absolutely slays me. You have the Spartacus moment where they're all up on the early cross. They've come to rescue Brian and, and take him down, and Brian is having a go at somebody else. Oh, that's right, Reg has shown up, 
and you think that Reg and his group might rescue him, but they don't because they're not the rescue committee. They're there to congratulate him on his great moment yeah. of martyrdom. I, I'm Brian. I'm Brian, and so's my wife. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. You know, I kind of forgot about that moment. And just in terms of it being in the in talking to the podcast, I totally forgot about that. But that's very true. That's great. Yeah. In one of the, the, the new, of course, we're just just a gush fest from me anyway. So, okay. So uh, my favorite scene is the, the list of the things that the Romans have actually done for them. Yeah. Um, do you, did you say your, do you have a favorite scene? I mean, I know you said it's it was so really hard, hard to but I mean, there's the, there's the cured leper. There's the stoning. Well, how about, okay. How about this? This is what I'll say. Maybe you can, you can concur or not, but my, okay. I think the funniest scene is that for, yeah. for me, uh, no, the cured I, leper or the stoning, the stoning. No, okay. no, 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 no. Sorry, 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 sorry. The, the list, the list. Yes. Okay. Yes. But I do think I agree. I think the, the pivotal part of this movie and what makes it not just a comedy is the the shoe, the, the shoe sandal, and everything yeah. around that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And leading up to him, them following him into the mountain. Yeah. That that is the best section of the film. Yeah, it's it's good. The funniest the funniest moment in the movie for me is either again they're both Palin scenes. So I think we we've, we've discovered who our unsung hero is. Yeah, yeah. I I I sounds like you agree. I would agree, and and maybe. I, because if I mean, and I'm a movie guy, and I, you know, I, I, I tend to pride myself on, on the knowledge that I have, but I might also say that the unsung hero, especially if you're, if you don't, if you don't look into the background of movies, is George Harrison. Yeah, this this movie would would not exist without George Harrison and his handmade films. I mean, that's and and, and the most expensive the, uh, movie yes. ticket in history. He mortgaged his house and put up the other million that EMI had had backed out of. Yeah, and and. I know there are people who who really follow pythons and and know their history back and forth and have their, all the books and all all the sort of oral histories and and biographies and all of that. But if if you're not really into this kind of stuff, you wouldn't know that George Harrison saved this film. And so I think on screen, obviously, I think it, I think it's um it's Palin. It's Palin. But I think I think the the real and almost the best definition of unsung hero is is George Harrison. And the fact for me, I mean, that rings so true for me because of the the door that it opened for Harrison as a as a filmmaker himself to make something like With Nail and I or The Long Good Friday. Uh, Handmade Films is actually responsible for Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels as well because they they went bankrupt in the '90s because his producing partner was a prick, spent all their money. <laughs> And they they did have a string of failures there towards the end. I think Mona Lisa was probably the last really successful thing they had. Um, but it was actually bought by a company called Paragon, and under that under the handmade films, they made Lockstock, which is, I mean, that was one of the many films with, along with Four Weddings and uh, Full Monty that helped completely revitalize British filmmaking, like Harrison did when he set the company up in '79. Yeah. So they he he again he opened the door for this great wave of British filmmaking. So we've established that best scene in the movie or the most important scene in the movie, the sandal. Yes. And then your your favorite scene as far as comedy goes is the list. The list. Yeah. And for me, I I really can't choose between the leper and and uh, Pontius trying to crack the centurions out with both with, good choices. Yeah, though. it's a split decision there yeah. on that for me. Ridiculous question time. Oh wait, sorry. This okay. I'm prolonging this, but I I want I wanted to ask. Oh, that's right. You had you had something. Yes, I yes I did. Um. So we're gonna. I want to. In the moment, we can't overthink this. Although you don't know, I'm springing this on you, so it's probably not totally fair. What p- 
python would you say i am oh because because i'm gonna i'll pick one for you and i'm just because oh you already have one in mind for me yeah i do this could be a friendship breaking or a friendship defining moment here's what dear i'll say listeners. here's what i'll say it's it's definitely i'm not it's not you're not gilliam so I, I feel like that might be the only one. Well, I think neither of us are Gilliam. I think ties. I could. I think I could go down the list of who you're not, but I think it's. Hmm. I don't, I don't know, man. My my first instinct is to say Cleese, but see, and for you, I was gonna say Terry Jones. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Why Why do you say Jones? I, I don't. I'm not unhappy with that decision, but um, I I, I think it was mostly not from what I've even seen them do on screen, but from the documentary and listening to them talk, I got the most Terry Jones, like the, like his vibe seemed to be, I I got your vibe a lot. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Followed maybe closely by Chapman. Okay. But cause I would, I'm it for me, it's a split decision Chapman and, and Cleese for you. Anyways, I don't know. I just thought about that yesterday because I'm thinking about their quality as actors and your quality as an actor. Sure. Sure. Mute your goddamn laptop. I'm going to keep that in. I apologize. <laughs> okay, so now, now, ridiculous question time. Ian, should this film be in the book? Do I even have to dignify that with an answer? <laughs> if you officially will put it, we'll put it out there. So it's, it's in the ether. Oh, man. Yes, it belongs in the book. It I abs- absolutely believe that everybody, regardless of faith, color creed any of that nonsense you should see this film because this film is about approaching yeah it's about approaching things with an open mind and whether and if it if it does something to offend you that's great i think that's i think everybody should be offended every once in a while you should have what you believe in question because at the end of the day if you really believe in that if that is your creed if that is what you live by then this film isn't going to do anything and this is the point that that muggeridge and uh, and Stockwood brought up this film isn't going to shake anybody's faith. If you are a staunch believer, you believe in something. This is how you live your life. I'm not taking anything away from that. I I that's not the purpose of of this conversation. It's not the purpose of this film. Good for you. If that's if that's how you choose to live your life and you feel you are a better person for it, then I believe that you are. I, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt in that, but I do also think that you should have it questioned once in a while because it's not going to serve to knock you down. It's not going to serve to shake it if it is something that is true and devout and something that you hold dear. It's only going to serve to strengthen that. I think a good, and uh, this is a great time to just plug Criterion again in the same episode. Do you know what a great double feature would be? This and Last Temptation. Oh, Oh, is that not where not you were going? Not what I was going to say. This okay. and Seven Seal, actually. Is oh, what really? I was going to say. Well, they both, you know, that whole question of faith. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. But but actually, let's do a fuck. We'll just do a triple feature. We'll just do all three of those. Why not? And Criterion will sponsor it. I think you should. I think it's absolutely imperative to end with Life of Brian, though. I think you would. I, I think agree. you would start with Temptation. You get it. Yeah, gotta get that out of the way. Right. Yeah. Not that it's a bad no, movie, but no. because it is, it's the hardest exactly. of the three to watch. Exactly. And then you have you have a little bit more levity in Seventh Seal. Not that that doesn't have its hard moments. And then you have, yeah, you you have catharsis. Yes. With life of brian yeah that, that would be good so i think i know your answer as well oh this this definitely needs to be in the book yeah yeah exactly um and i think even in in, in the conversation that we had i think we would we'd agree that grail and uh 
and this and Life of Brian are the the two correct Python movies to have in the book. Yeah, no, I wouldn't put Meaning of Life in there. Meaning of Life is is there. I would recommend it if you're a completionist. Sure, exactly, exactly. Um, but other films you'd watch before that. Yeah, yeah, I get, yeah. absolutely. Um, so that's our answer. We we wholeheartedly believe that Life of Brian should be in a thousand and one movies you must see before you die. But we want to hear what you think. Um, so hopefully you get a chance to watch this movie and, and give us some comments and let us know what you think. Uh, so you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at a thousand one by one. If you're listening, you're probably listening on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play. Uh, thank you for that. Rate, review, download, all that stuff. It's all great. It's all good. Um. And thank you for a uh, just a total gush fest on Life yeah. of Brian. And well, th- I was going to say thank you, one, for indulging me, and thank you to our listeners as well for indulging this, this conversation on one of my favorite films of all time. We were more than happy, Ian. Oh, thank you. Uh, but hey, until next time, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>